Hello and welcome to the Chorus and the Chaos podcast. Uh, I am Jack and in, today we have a special bonus episode. I'm joined by Grayson and Mark Lee Dixon, who's going to be uh, joining us on this episode. Um, and it's a, this, is a, this is a fun episode. I'm pretty excited about this. So uh, you might not know the name, if you're listening to this, of Mark Lee Dixon, but uh, you've probably heard of some of the stuff he's, he's been uh, working on or been behind. Uh, in his fight against against abortion here in the United States, and um, so and and I'll add to that is before we Mark introduces himself here, um, providentially Mark and I have actually been friends for a long time. So outside of work of Mark's uh, active work in fighting against abortion, uh, Mark and I became friends like almost I don't know fifteen twenty years ago something like that in. Um, like a book, I think we we were talking about this before we recorded. We're trying to remember exactly where we met, but I think it was maybe a books a million uh, coffee shop slash bookstore in Longview, Texas, back some twenty years ago. So Mark and I have known each other a long time, and uh, yeah, Mark. Uh, even though the people listening to this can't see you, I can see you, and it's good to see you again, man. Good to see so, you too. Yeah. So we're joined by Mark, going by Grayson, but Mark. Because now these people are curious, um, why don't you just maybe introduce yourself and help connect the dots for, for anyone who's listened to this and might not recognize your name. My name is Mark Lee Dixon, a director with Right to Life of East Texas. It's an organization that's been around since 1976, based in Longview, Texas. And I'm the founder of what's called the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn Initiative. And the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn Initiative it's about outlawing abortion at the local level. So right now we have 51 cities across America that have passed ordinances outlawing abortion, the largest of those being Lubbock, Texas, which is the 11th largest city in Texas and about the 80th largest city in America. And I also was uh, sued in a lawsuit over the Texas Heartbeat Act and that went before the Supreme Court of the United States. I was the only private citizen named in that lawsuit. And of course, we won. And so uh, we were really excited about that. Currently, I'm in a lawsuit that is going before the Supreme Court of Texas. And that lawsuit is for me saying abortion is murder and that the abortion industry is involved in the murder of innocent children. And so we'll see what the Texas Supreme Court says about that one. Uh, but currently working in uh, trying to, to see abortion uh, tackled in New Mexico and Nebraska and various places throughout the United States. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Th- thanks, man. It's good. to, Like I said, good to see you again. And just formally, thank you so much for the work you've been doing um, to fight to fight abortion. And it's. And, and, you know, it's an exciting time. So if you're, I don't know when the people are listening to this, um, but currently Roe v. Wade has been overturned and uh, the the fight for abortion is largely been fallen down to the state level in a lot of cases. And uh, yeah, I think, and, and, you know, and to kind of pull the curtain up as we were talking about, you know, what do we want to talk about in this podcast? The main takeaway, and I'm going to just put it out there because I think it's important to say is that for anyone listening to this and Mark is Mark and the work he's done. And one of the reasons we wanted to interview him uh, and, and talk to him because the work he's doing is evidence that 
Christians in local communities can make a big difference on a big platform. Like you don't, you don't have to be quote unquote, a Senator or a Congressman or whatever to make a big difference in the fight for abortion in local communities. Christians can take responsibility in their own cities and make big impacts. And I think that's the theme of what we wanted to talk about. And um, just, I don't know. I thought it was worth putting out there because that's, that's what it's about. Right. Absolutely. Um, Grayson, do you have anything before we kind of jump into some questions and talking more about some of the work Mark has done? Do you have anything you wanted to say by way of introduction? No, I, I, I really think that just, I mean, I've, I've read your stuff in the past in terms of things that you were involved with without ever connecting the dots. And it's just, it's neat to see it. I mean, I, I recall a, a blog post I wrote back when the Texas heartbeat bill passed and, um, we were just blogging for Patheos at the time, and of course that that crowd's pretty pretty rough. But when you tackle the topic of abortion on there, people come out of the woodwork, and it was just I mean hell hath no fury like an atheist scorned, right? Um, all that to say though, I remember when that happened, and I remember there was a a big to do within the Christian world. But I was just happy something was being done. Um, you know, people were debating either side of the issue, and I remember just being like, can we not just praise the fact that something is being done here and i think that's one of the things i appreciate about it is that there's uh, we tend to i guess for lack of any better way to put it we hem and haw over a lot of things and how somebody could be doing something better right but i think it was it was dl moody who was getting criticism about his evangelism at one point he's just like you know i like my way of doing things better than your way of not doing things um and that's that's how i look at a lot of stuff like this is there's uh, everybody can can build a better mousetrap but at the end of the day it's how are we ministering to single moms how are we fighting the legislative battles how are we getting out front and center and making the gospel primary right i mean those are all important things in this yeah yeah well said grayson well said I've just really appreciated everything that I've seen you be part of, and it's a pleasure to meet you, brother. Great to to be here with you guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. So, all right, so let let's talk. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let's talk about sanctuary cities for the unborn because another tie that you and I have is that the very first sanctuary city for the unborn is actually in my hometown, uh, where I graduated high school from. Uh, a tiny, tiny town called Wascom, Texas, on the Texas-Louisiana border between, and I'm saying where it is because no one listening to this has ever heard of that town. Um, it's a population, I looked it up for the pockets, roughly about 1,700 people now. And it's on the Texas-Louisiana border between Shreveport and Marshall, Texas, kind of right there. That's where I graduated high school. I still have family that live there. And uh, Mark, tell, tell us a little bit about what Sanctuary Cities for the, what does that mean, right? Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. And tell us about how Wascom really started this whole thing. Well, the closest surgical and medical abortion facility to cities in Texas like Longview and Wascom was a place called Hope Medical Group for Women in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, Jack, you were the one that introduced me to that place many moons ago. And... I felt led of the Lord to find myself on the side of that abortion facility, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting women know that this is not God's will for their life to get an abortion. 
And in that process, we saw many lives saved. And as we were reaching out, there was this there's this mother who I don't know what happened to her, to be honest, but she was talking about how that she wasn't sure what she was going to do, but that there were people on the inside of that abortion facility that were talking about how they may be closing down soon. In fact, at the time, there was a case before the Supreme Court of the United States called June Medical Services versus Russo uh, regarding hospital admitting privileges, very similar to Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. And at the time, those in the pro-life community weren't really sure what was going to happen because if you looked at the makeup of the courts, if the justices in that were there in, in Holmans or Hellerstedt maintained their position, Justice Roberts actually in Holmans or Hellerstedt was on our side. And the thought was, with a new makeup of the court, this could be a victory for pro-lifers. Well, it ended up not being a victory for us, uh, but at the time we didn't know that. And we were expecting Roberts to side with us, uh, and the abortion industry was thinking the same thing was going to happen. And so uh, there was a lot of uncertainty in the air in Louisiana. Well, when this woman told me this um, about the abortion industry talking about possibly closing down, it, it caused some, some thinking to, to, to happen in, in the noggin. And I started thinking about how that in the early 90s, Robin Rothrock, who was the director of that abortion facility at that time, had said that it would make sense if abortion ever shut down in Louisiana for that abortion facility to go 18 miles over to a place called Wascom, Texas. There was actually someone in the Houston area that had pledged land in a building there in Wascom to that abortion facility. And so got to thinking about that and I was just praying and and I said God what do you want me to do about it <laughs> you know this what do I do uh, and I really felt Amos 5:15 just weigh on my heart and that passage says to hate evil to love good and to establish justice in Austin Texas and Washington DC it's not what it says. Not, <laughs> I, <laughs> just to be clear, I was like, hey, not what it says, right? I think I'd it's like, uh, <laughs> which translation is that? <laughs> so it new, says the hate Texas evil. Translation. <laughs> yeah. It says the hate evil, love good, and establish justice within the city gate. And I got to thinking about how if an abortion facility moved to Wascom, it wouldn't be Austin's problem. It wouldn't be Washington, D.C.'s problem it would be Wascombe's problem. So I reached out to the mayor of Wascombe, Mayor Jesse Moore, great guy. And he said, what do we need to do? And it just kind of rolled off my tongue. I said, you need to pass an ordinance outlawing abortion within the city limits. And he said, expedite me that ordinance. So I got off the phone with him and I knew there was a task before us. Now, I'm not a lawyer, uh, just a director with Right to Life of East Texas, proclaimer of God's truth, <clears throat> you know, just a, just a common guy. 
And so uh, ended up, we came up with a an ordinance. And I remember sitting at a Chick-fil-A in Longview, Texas, the, the very back booth, because I'm a back row Baptist and a back row Chick-fil-A-in. <laughs> and, and I'm staring at this ordinance. And I'm thinking, I'm called to love my neighbor. And the unborn are my neighbor, but so are those born council members. And I don't want to see them sued into oblivion. You mean the, so the, was, up, you mean the Wascom City Council members, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't want to see the, 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 the city council members or the city sued into oblivion. And so ended up, was, was thinking through this, and, and I was thinking about, you know, Wascom is a community that is known for many great things. They're known for Jim's Barbecue. That they They're are. For, oh, man, such good barbecue. Texas barbecue. <laughs> They're known for David Beard's Catfish Village, with one of the most amazing uh, scenery uh, to, to, to eat uh, food at, you know, there in, in East Texas. And Mark, I think I should t- I think I should let people know that you're not being paid by the Wascom City of Commerce right now. Correct. Like, uh, correct. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Just and they're known for East Texas football. Right. Yeah. So everywhere I go, I, I mentioned those three things just because that's the three things that. I think of when I think of Wascom, that and speeding tickets, but that's another story there. <laughs> so, uh, but I end up texting my senator, Senator Brian Hughes, and I say, Senator Hughes, if this abortion facility moves to Wascom, that blood is going to be on Senate District 1 soil. And got a response back, and he said, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Jonathan F. Mitchell, former Solicitor General for the state of Texas, law clerk for Justice Scalia, was quoted in court opinions by Alito and Thomas. I was sold. This guy was had way more qualifications than I did. And we got on a conference call in that very holy place of Chick-fil-A in the, the parking lot. <laughs> And the, the abortion industry just hates the fact that this happened at Chick-fil-A. I just got to point that out. <laughs> oh, I bet. It's just like rubbing it in their injury. face. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> so got on the conference call, and Jonathan Mitchell says, I can't believe no one's thought of this before. This is brilliant. And in Senator Hughes, who's an attorney, said, Jonathan, do you think we could do with the Wascom ordinance what we're planning on doing with the Texas heartbeat bill? Now, this was June of 2019, right? And Jonathan said, you know, my thoughts exactly. And I said, what do you plan on doing with the Texas heartbeat bill? And they started to share with me about how every time a heartbeat bill is passed, or any abortion legislation pre-viability, that an injunction is filed and the law never goes into effect. And so that's the story. And, and But Jonathan and Senator Hughes 
had an idea of how it could survive a legal challenge. Uh, that how it could go into effect and not be thwarted. I was all for this because, one, this is not a battle that I want to fight alone. I want to make sure the greatest minds are at the table and that we are fighting at every level. So as game, we ended up seeing the the ordinance move forward. And I just got to mention, uh, before that council meeting, I, I prayed and I asked God, God, what do you want me to wear? And it was very clear. Uh, my Vans, blue jeans, a blazer, button-up shirt, and a backwards black cap, and I've done that ever since. And at that council meeting, it was packed, and we heard some great testimony, and we saw the City Council of Wascombe pass that ordinance and became the first city in the nation to outlaw abortion. The ACLU at that time said this abortion uh, ordinance makes it impossible for an abortion facility to set up shop in Wascom, Texas, to which we said, praise God. Yeah, it's like that's that was the goal. <laughs> so maybe explain how how the ordinance works. So what what is it? What is it about the the ordinance that makes it so unique? So the way the ordinance was crafted was that it outlawed abortion from the moment of conception, but the way it was enforced, it had two types of enforcement. It had public enforcement, which is the government imposing fines, and those fines were the most that the government could impose in Texas, a municipal government could impose, for a violation of health and safety, which is what we had to put it in at the time. And so that violation was $2,000 per occurrence. And so $2,000 per abortion is what the penalty was. So if you, now, so, so for clarity, so if you had an abortion mm -hmm. or assisted in an abortion per that side of it, you would be fined $2,000 well, in Boscombe, right? The way it was written, the mother of the unborn child was not penalized but the abortionist and anyone who's aiding and abetting the abortionist. Ah. So we're talking about uh, paying for the abortion, driving someone to the abortion if it were to occur in Wascombe, Texas, anything within the borders, uh, the nurse assisting. Uh, so that is what was uh, we we're going after. It's the state of Texas, the laws are that the the mother could not be penalized. That's in the state okay. laws. And so we, yeah, we so you guys couldn't overtop that. Correct. And there were people that were wanting us to go that far. Yeah. But at the end of the day, and look, I understand I've been outside the sidewalk of the abortion facility enough times. I've heard from mothers and fathers who have said that they think it's a loving thing to do to send their child to heaven. Uh, people who make those kind of statements they need to be held accountable. Yep. And we do need to have more conversations in our churches and in the public square about how much these mothers and fathers know and ask the question of why aren't 
these people being held accountable for their involvement in the murder of their children. We hold accountable uh, mothers who drown their two-month-old child in the bathtub. So why can't we hold accountable uh, mothers who are acknowledging that they're sending their child to heaven uh, when their child is three months in the womb? So I think we do have to have those discussions. Um, <clears throat> but we saw, uh, so there's the public enforcement, like I said, and then there's the private enforcement. Now, on the public enforcement side, we said that those penalties by the city of Wascombe could not be imposed until or unless Roe v. Wade was overturned or the courts said that that was that we could proceed with those uh, penalties being imposed uh, so that was somewhat like a kind of trigger type of, of mechanism but the private enforcement is what what was immediate and the private enforcement said that if abortion took place within the city of Wascombe, then anyone could sue the abortionist or anyone who aided and embedded the abortionist for the death of that unborn child. That's clever. And so a father could sue the abortionist for the death of his son or daughter. That grandma could sue the person who drove someone to the abortion in Wascombe. And that ended up proving to be a very um, influential tactic. We saw this, as this ordinance started to spread across Texas, uh, we ended up seeing uh, this ordinance pass in the city of Lubbock. Uh, 264,000 people in the city of Lubbock. And this ordinance passed there. They had a Planned Parenthood, but that Planned Parenthood ended up stopping they stopped performing abortions because the law would just not allow them to continue. Yeah. Praise God, man. Praise God. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so from Wascom, Lubbock, I know there's a lot of us, uh, how many sanctuary cities of the unborn are there now in the United States? We have 51 cities that have passed ordinances outlawing abortion. Um, 44 of those are in Texas there are two in Ohio. There's three in Nebraska. There's one in Louisiana. And there's one in Iowa. And we're working on cities in New Mexico. And we are very excited about seeing cities in New Mexico move forward. Their ordinances are different than Texas and Nebraska, but they still do their part in protecting unborn children to the best of their ability. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And what a what an example of two of, you know, go back to kind of the theme of, because these are small towns, like the town, again, Wascom, Texas, I grew up there, 1,750 some odd people, plus or minus 10, depending on the day, something like that's roughly what it is. And that, that town it amazes me that you did this, that you pulled this through, because that, that town started a domino effect that it, we're seeing it play out today. I mean, we're talking about it now, and it's, you know, the late 2022, and uh, over 50, we've seen the Texas Harvey Bill, we've seen a, a Roe v. Wade, there's all these things, and yeah, Wascom, Texas, like, it, and I say that to anyone listening, like, 
do not be discouraged where you are. I don't, I don't care if you're in, you know, downtown Portland, Oregon. And I try to think of the most <laughs> anti, <laughs> uh, maybe there's some that are worse than that, but that's gotta be near the top of the list. That's pretty at the top. Yeah. I mean, you get chess and everything and born out of that. Don't, I, I still have to say, do not be discouraged by where you live because, um, you know, that verse in Amos is, is fantastic. And sometimes I know I'm not David, right? Uh, Matt Chandler. So don't, don't email me. I'm not, I'm not David, but there is this, this sense of, we forget that we have the Lord fighting with us. I, I think, and I'm guilty of this. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm exempt from this. Sometimes I think we, and myself included, we cower away from fights because we think it's too big for us. And we have no, we forget that we have the God of the universe who's the Alpha and Omega. He spoke the universe into existence, not only in our corner, but leading the chart. Like God himself is on our side and and we tend to cower away. So uh, brother, just thank you. I know, I've known you a long time, but thank you so much for the work that you've done and your your confidence in the Lord to step in faith, to, to fight these things. So Mark, thank you. This is something that every community, there were people in those communities that stepped forward. Dr. Ivy Shelton at First Baptist Waskell. Thank God for that man. Uh, we couldn't have done it without him. In fact, him standing, he was out of town, but he, he helped uh, facilitate a gathering at his church uh, before the, the meeting took place. Uh, did a great job at educating the community, and uh, a minister in that church was present at the the council meeting representing First Baptist Church, and I will never forget that the one of the council members said, "This could result in a lawsuit, which we just don't have the funds for." And the mayor then looked at the. The children's minister from First Baptist Wascom, and he said, "You better tell those kids to save their their pennies, nickels, and dimes because we're going to need them." <laughs> Which what a great <laughs> quote, you know? That's uh, awesome. It's going to be in a movie one yeah. day, right? But what was so cool too is that when people were inspired by Wascom, and this inspiration went all over the United States. You had actually, I think it was the week after or sometime in the, you know, it's close proximity to Wascom Outlawing Abortion that someone in Lubbock, Texas wrote an article for Lubbock Lights. And the, the headline was, Lubbock should follow Wascom in becoming a sanctuary city for the unborn. I read that article and I looked at the population of Lubbock and I chuckled. And then I repented and I said, God, let me not say that that's not possible. Because who am I to say that that's not possible? But I did repent for chuckling, all right? And wow, look at what yeah. God did. Um, May of 2021, Lubbock became the largest sanctuary city for the unborn. And then, of course, soon after that, we saw... As, in September, uh, September 1st of that year, the Texas Heartbeat Act was signed into law. And 
it's just an amazing experience that we saw Lubbock survive, and of course we saw the Texas Heartbeat Act survive, and now we're in a post-Roe America. There's hope for New Mexico. There's hope for Nebraska. There's hope for California, because as long as Christ is on the throne, uh, we've got a a God who is in the business of changing hearts and minds and communities and counties and states for his glory. Amen. So let me ask, let me kind of change gears a little bit. Um, and I jotted down this question and it, we, I want to come back to some other things like the law, the lawsuit you're currently going under, but I wanted to ask you about this in this battle, because you've been on the front, I would consider the front lines. I know you've been in, in front of, abortion clinics, you've been obviously in the courtroom, you've been Supreme Court, like you've been on the front lines of this. What's your experience been like as it relates to the spiritual forces, like the demonic aspect of this? Because clearly abort, and none of us on this call would argue that the no, act of abortion I, is demonic. I mean, it is the murder I of children. Like, I don't think you can stretch that in any other this, way. Yeah, it just is. But when you're in, engaging with people, uh, people who are clearly deceived and have no contract cons, concept, excuse me, of God's moral truth. What what is that like? Like, what what type of resistance do you see? What type of demonic behavior do you see? Uh, just what's your experience been like in that regard? There have been times where I have felt like one of the most hated people in in Texas, um, sometimes America. Uh, there's been council meetings that I have arrived on site to where the people, when they see me, they just go nuts. Uh, they start talking gibberish, uh, yelling things. Uh, I've been called uh, Antichrist. I've been called um, the devil on earth. Uh, lots of hatred, um, and that hatred, you know, I have to, to ask, why? Why do they hate me? And it's because uh, I believe when you are in the business of taking away abortion, which is child sacrifice, you're taking away the demon's communion, uh, I really believe that at abortion facilities, um, that's that's their church services. That what is going on there, that blood is being sacrificed to demons. And they are rejoicing over the shedding of innocent blood. While we as Christians rejoice in our in taking communion that is about the, the the innocent blood of Jesus Christ, and we're remembering that the opposite of that is happening at the abortion facilities. And the level of demonic activity that's happening there, you know, it plays out in the public square when we see uh, people get so upset that we're trying to take away this acceptance of the murder of innocent children. Yeah, Mark, a few weeks ago to kind of share, share in your comments here, and I, I shared this on our Facebook page, like a link to this article, but the Satan, uh, I pulled it up real quick to make sure I quoted it correctly, but the Satanic Temple 
the, t- the article here, and if someone scrolls down long enough on our Facebook page, they can find it. But essentially, the title of the article is Satanic Temple Goes After Abortion Bans. And then in the one of the quotes of the article, it says, in the latest lawsuits, the temple argued each state's bans violates rights of people who took contraceptives and still became pregnant, denying the right of an, quote, involuntary pregnant woman to engage in the, quote, satanic abortion ritual. That's their own language. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, Carl Truman wrote something up on it maybe two years ago where he talked about how um, ab- the abortion industry as a whole really does mimic church in many ways, right? You have your high priests, you have your congregants, you have your liturgies, you have your rituals and everything that's all tied into it. The sacraments, if you will, um, and every aspect of it, there's an evil incarnate reverse image of the gospel happening. And I think we don't, we don't see that as often as we should. Um, you're, you're in a position where you can't help but see it, I think, Mark. But for many of us, when we're not ingrained in it, I, it's easy to forget that this, this is a spiritual war. I mean, literally, it's just a war at all times. Um, but the people that we're dealing with is, that's a, uh, it, it breaks my heart because you have people that are literally lost. They don't understand the reality of the war that they're participating in and that they're participating in doing uh, deeds of darkness. They full well understand the sin that they're committing, Right. They understand that it's an act, I think, even worthy of judgment, but they don't understand the very real demonic influence that's even in their own lives. And these people, they know they're killing children. Every abortionist I've talked to admits that it's a child that they're talking about, yep. that they they don't need to be convinced that they're ending the lives of innocent children I remember a John Piper article a long time ago where he talks about how he sat down with an abortionist and he was going to convince him that this this was a human being. And the abortionist said, look, whoa, whoa, whoa. We already know it's a human being. That's the point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, everybody knows what's going on behind the curtain. I'm, I think one of the things I appreciated about the overturn of Roe v. Wade. I mean, there's multiple things, don't get me wrong, but one of the things I really appreciated seeing is that all the pretenses came off on social media, right? Um, everybody at that point was very, very outraged, and they were outraged without a doubt over the fact that they could no longer, in theory, at the state level, kill their kids. And you had people left and right saying that overtly where it's just like, okay, now now at least we're at the point where we can be fully, brutally honest about what's going on here. And it's not like Christians haven't been doing that already, but to see a secular world start to finally just embrace it, it's like, okay, now we can hit it hard. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark, Mark what's, what's something, given the demonic nature of this battle, what's something you've learned about our enemy? in this, you know, the past several years. Does anything stand out? The enemy will do everything in his power to try to destroy your sense of reality and the sense of 
is the battle really worth it? Is it worth all the sacrifices and the um, just how much it costs to actually move forward in a spirit of Athanasius versus the world? And the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ have been something I've kept very near to my heart. I have endured many attacks uh, behind the scenes and publicly, and it is Christ and the strength that he provides that has allowed me to persevere uh, through this time. Second uh, Corinthians 3.5 has always been my life verse. Not, not that we are sufficient ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from the Lord. And that has got me through uh, the difficult times. And I've seen many different sides of this. I've seen weak politicians. I've seen uh, politicians that have their own agendas of wanting to do everything they can to oppose this. And we have seen people, seen churches rise up and really uh, get this accomplished in their communities. This could not have happened without churches standing up. And... It couldn't happen without leaders that really fear God more than the ACLU. That's a really good point. I, th I think, and I think, and like I said earlier, I think many of us, if not most of us have been guilty of that, myself included. Like I, not that I consciously sit here and think I'm more afraid of the opposition than I am of God. Well, let me tell you something here. The There was a mayor in a city by the name of, Whiteface, Texas, over in the Caprock, uh, west of Lubbock, and Mayor Judy Devers, she called me up one day, and uh, at this time, 12 cities had outlawed abortion. Seven had just been sued by the ACLU, and Mayor Devers said that God kept her up at night. This was heavy on her heart. And she said, Mark, I need to, uh, I guess thinking, what would God do if we didn't pass this ban? What would God do if we didn't pass this ban? And she said she needed an ordinance. I said, Mayor Devers, uh, do you realize that the ACLU has just sued seven cities in East Texas? And she said, Mark, I'm aware of that. And like I said, we need an ordinance to outlaw abortion. And I said, Mayor Devers, are you saying that you fear God more than the ACLU? And she said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And at that council meeting, it was very interesting. We did see Whiteface pass an ordinance outlawing abortion. They were the only city to outlaw abortion during this three-month period where this lawsuit with the ACLU is going on, which we we prevailed in. Uh, but during this three-month period, the only city, and on that council, you know, a deacon at a First Baptist church actually opposed this. You know, go figure. Uh, there was a reporter from Jezebel there, you know, from New York. It was so interesting. Uh, but such a powerful, powerful statement. And what was mind-blowing at that council meeting, 
someone stood up in opposition and it was someone that was wanting to bring uh, women's health care services to uh, West Texas, uh, specifically in that area. And she said, I think it'd be a great thing to have abortion services in Whiteface, Texas. And it just sent a chill down so many of our spines that what if God put this on the heart of that mayor, kept her up at night to prevent a baby kill factory from coming in to their community? Uh, hey, I believe it can happen, you know? I think God gives us, uh, gives us these things in our hearts and our minds, and man, we need to respond to those, uh, those promptings of the Spirit to action. And I'm so thankful that Mayor Judy Devers um, responded to the Lord at that time and, and showed not just her community in all of Texas, but all of the United States, that we need to be people that fear the Lord more than the ACLU. And you can put any name in there. People in California, Christians in California, need to fear the Lord more than they fear Governor Newsom. People in New Mexico need to fear the Lord more than they fear Governor Grisham. Uh, I hope and pray that this video is so out of date by the time this election comes, uh, because hopefully Governor Grisham's not going to be the governor of New Mexico uh, come, you know, uh, here in the near future. Um, we can see Christians rise up and take back their communities, take back their counties, take back their state, and take back America. It's time we really do everything in our power to, to save our communities, save our states, and save our nation uh, to bring it back to, to where the Lord desires us to be. Yeah, I think you hit on a key point there um, come the election season. One of the things that I think, and I get people have different convictions where they don't participate in voting, and I'm not even going to touch that with a 10-foot pull today, but um, one of the things I think people forget about is an ordinary common means that we can exercise as free citizens in the states is just to get involved in local elections. And what I've seen is that most people think top down, right? They think the president's the big one. That's the one you got to hit. When the reality is you're going to be more effective voting from the bottom up. Um, just because when you get all these people in a local munis municipalities involved, and then you get to the state level and so on and so forth, um, that's where your vote really is going to count for much, much more. I believe that casting our ballots, the ballot box, can be a way that we practice repentance. I believe that people going to their ballot box, I'm telling this to people in New Mexico, left and right, that if they care about the direction of their nation, they need to be pleading before God, and they need to be going to the ballot box as well. They can't just say, God... Please deliver us from these horrible, horrible leaders and then do nothing at the ballot box. They've got to, to exercise that ability that their government has given them at the polls. And that, that is them saying that they do not want the leadership that they have, that they want someone who is not going to invite the abortion industry to kill children in their, their state to make it a the mecca of abortions in America, 
but they want someone that is going to to actually acknowledge the Lord and lead the state away from things that grieve the heart of God and things that are going to invite. I was at a church in Clovis, New Mexico, Grace Covenant Reformed uh, Church. They probably listen to you guys. Uh, and if not, they will after this. But Shout out. Hey. <laughs> uh, but at that church, it's like 180 people showed up for this meeting on uh, let's take care of the abortion issue in Clovis. And, and, you know, I told that entire group, I said, I hope you guys know that y'all's governor is going to hell. And I think, I don't think some people had ever thought of that before, but their governor really is going to hell. She is on the path that leads to destruction. Unless she repents and trusts in Jesus Christ, then she's not just, you know, going headfirst into hell, but she is leading all of New Mexico that direction. And we have got to do everything in our power to to stand up against that, to say, no, you know, if you want to do that over in Santa Fe, so be it. But it's not going to happen here in Clovis. It's not going to happen in Hobbs. It's not going to happen in Lovington. Uh, it's not going to happen in, in Roswell. Uh, other things may happen in Roswell, but but not abortions, you know? Um, <laughs> Hang on. That's another podcast. We, <laughs> that's another episode. <laughs> um, no, that's great, Mark. Let, let me ask you another question uh, to continue to kind of press forward here. Cause I, I think I'd like to talk about this. Cause I think it's one, it's telling about the fight and what the resistance you're getting from, from the opposition, but it's also just generally interesting in a legal sense and in a personal sense, because I know you. Uh, talk, let's talk about the the lawsuit, the abortion is mo- is murder, defamation uh, lawsuit. T- t- tell us a little about what's happening in Texas and and that we're recording this on what day is it? It is October eleventh. That you have a court date like in a week or two, right? October twenty sixth at nine o'clock in the morning. So that's going to be before the Supreme Court of Texas. And short version of how I got there is that after that lawsuit that I mentioned before about the lawsuit against the seven cities in East Texas that were sued, well, once the abortion industry realized that the abortion remained outlawed in the cities that they sued and and that really was a losing battle for them, they decided to sue me personally and Right to Life East Texas for these statements that I made, uh, saying that abortion is murder and the abortion industry is involved in the murder of innocent children. Uh, I had said that um, there was a billboard they placed in Waskell that said abortion is freedom. And I said, abortion is freedom in the same way that a wife killing her husband is freedom. Abortion is murder. Uh, which I thought was a cool quote, you know? I mean, I was like, hey, it's a good jab, you know? And uh, said some other things, too. Um, I poked a lot of fun at the Lilith Fund. So the three groups that sued me were the Lilith Fund, the T-Fund, and the Afia Center. Two of those groups sued me in Dallas, and the Lilith Fund sued me in um, Austin. And 
you know, I, I would poke fun at the Lilith Fund quite a bit because they're named after a demon that preys on women and children. Uh, that's their name, all right? And so I was pointing this out, and, and you know, I was, you know, pointing out the fact that I understand that they don't have to come up with names a whole lot because they're pro-abortion, and, you know, us pro-lifers have to come up with names a lot because we we have to name a lot of babies, and they don't. But as this was going forward, um, the case, the two cases in Dallas got merged together, and no surprise, the Dallas court ruled against me, went on appeal, the appeals court ruled against me. Down in Austin, no surprise, you know, two most conservative areas of Texas, Austin and Dallas, uh, Austin rules against me and goes up to appeal to the Austin appeals court and no surprise, right? Well, surprise, Austin appeals court, because it was backed up, it got redistributed to another court. It got placed in Amarillo appeals court. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you've been in Amarillo recently, but Amarillo's not Austin. And so the Amarillo appeals court ended up saying that I had the right to say abortion is murder and that the abortion industry is involved in the murder of innocent children. And so we had what's called a circuit split. And so that resulted in the Texas Supreme Court eventually taking up my case. And so that's finally being heard um, now, uh, October 26th. And we are very optimistic. Uh, we still need prayers. This is a very important case. Uh, there's still some some questions out there. We don't know how far the Texas Supreme Court's going to go. But we know that this is an extremely important case. Uh, Attorney General Paxton has weighed in. Hey, Mark, I just real quick, I just, if anyone's listening to this, maybe this is weird. It's like breaking the fourth wall again. But if you're listening to this, consider hitting pause and just praying right now. Like, take this prompt to do that. Pray for Mark. I don't know, again, when you're listening to this, but if it is before... Uh, the court date. Um, just take take a few moments and and say a prayer because these these things matter. Sorry, go ahead. So we know that Attorney General Paxton's office is going to have someone there arguing uh, my case, uh, as well as my attorney Jonathan F. Mitchell. And this is an important case. Uh, you know, it was important enough that our Attorney General Paxton ended up writing a 28-page brief talking about all the ways we can say abortion is murder. And when I was reading this, I was just thinking, this is like a gift to the pro-life community uh, from coast to coast, that this case could make a, a, a world of difference in, in all of America, not just Texas. And so I'm really humbled to be a part of this and you know regardless of what the courts say i will always say abortion is murder and abortion is the 
taking of innocent human life because that is what abortion is. And we cannot ever stop saying the truth of God's word. Amen. Uh, Grayson, did you have a follow-up question there? I look, look like you were yeah. about to say something. No, I mean, I, I'm thinking of just literally the, the work you've been doing for years, um, all this stuff with the, the lawsuits happening and everything that's in between with the people that have just, I mean, berated you in public. Um, kind of two questions with it. So how have you kept just your faith central to all of it? I know we talked about a little bit of that earlier where it's um, – You've got certain verses you cling to, and you're you're constantly bringing the gospel to bear in your own mind and heart. But I guess one of the questions I'm looking at is beyond that: How are you looking at? Um, like, have you had good opportunities to give the gospel to some of these senators or some of these other people that you've been working with as well that just don't know Christ? Absolutely, and there's some leaders that you can tell that their faith is just central to what they do. Uh, Senator Brian Hughes has been a great inspiration to me because his faith is central to what he does, that he is really convicted by God's call on his life. And there are mayors and city council members across our states that they're driven by the Lord and praise God for that. There's also mayors and council members that it's apparent that they listen more to political consultants than they do the Lord Jesus Christ, and they need to repent, and they need to to get their focus right, and maybe that starts uh, by, if they don't have a relationship with the Lord, then, then that's where that starts, right? Uh that starts with them repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ right then and there. As far as what has sustained me, there's there's the... <laughs> I drink a lot of Dr. Pepper and eat a lot of, of cheese. And uh, <laughs> Hey, as a Wisconsin boy, I can salute you on the cheese, brother. But as far as... You know, that can only go so... <laughs> Can only go so far, right? <laughs> All right. So is is that the hot take here from this episode that cheese cheese is not a a sustainment? <laughs> yeah, cheese will only nourish you so much. There is a better food. Man, man cannot live on cheese alone. <laughs> but we all love cheese, right? Um, Who doesn't? Oh, yeah, right. But the reality is that God has called us to live this life in obedience to him. This is not our life to live. I didn't get into this battle because I wanted to make a name for myself. Uh, I didn't get into this battle because I was wanting to travel all over the place and rarely spend uh, a a night in, in the same place. That's not why I got into this. I got into this battle because I have this deep, deep appreciation for the life before us. That we are to love God and love our neighbor. And we are living in a nation that our 
our neighbors are being killed. We've got an entire group of people, the unborn, that are being killed more than any other group in our nation. You can think of any situation that's happened in the last several years where people were outraged over how a person was treated. Let's go ahead and say it. When George Floyd, when his death took place, America was outraged. There was rioting in the streets. One life. How many lives have been lost to abortion? You got over 900,000 lives every year in America from abortion. More lives Mm -hmm. lost to abortion in this country than cancer, than heart disease. It is a leading cause of death in America if we just count the unborn. There's one guy by the name of Curtis Wayne Boyd from Athens, Texas. In 1968, he performed 10,000 illegal abortions in Athens, Texas. City council knew about it. He did this as the county health officer. He went on to open up the first legal abortion facility in Texas in 1973 in the Dallas area after Roe v. Wade. But that one person has ended up taking the lives just on his own of over 250,000 children here in America. That where's the outrage? Now he's killing children in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His two facilities, the one that just closed down in Dallas and his one in Albuquerque, those two facilities are responsible for over 800,000 abortions, just those two facilities. We've got murder factories all over America. The, the number of lives that have been lost far exceeds the Holocaust. And we, we can't be silent. This is, this is the murder of innocent children. We've seen the ultrasounds. We've heard the heartbeats. Enough is enough. And I got into this not because of my hatred towards abortion specifically, but it's the throwing away of human life. Whether we're talking about abortion or suicide, it's both the throwing away of human life and it's gotta stop. No human being determines the worth and value of another human being. Yeah, Mark, so in the last, yeah, well well said. So in in the last few minutes here, just a couple of questions because I'd like to take this back to our, to kind of our focus here. So. In your opinion, and I think we've touched on this a lot, kind of off and on, but in, a, in, in maybe summary type style, in your opinion, what, what do you think is the role and responsibility of the Christian in this fight for their local community? Amos 5.15, it's not going to be found on a mug or a picture that's hanging in someone's room that they bought at a Christian bookstore. Uh, it's, a, it's a very obscure verse, but it says to hate evil, to love good, and to establish justice within the city gate. And we need to take that verse, we need to put it in our hearts, we need to live it out, we need to go to our city council meetings, we need to go to our city commission meetings, we need to, county commission meetings, we need to 
we need to be involved. If we have kids in a school or if we are in a community with a school and we care about what's being taught there, our tax dollars are going towards that, then we need to attend and be aware of what's going on. We need to be engaged in our society that we can't just say that's not our problem or, you know, we vote for these things, right? So we are playing a role with who we're putting in these places of power. There was a school here outside of Lubbock, Texas, that actually right across the street, there was a coffee shop that was giving out dental dams, encouraging oral sex and passing out plan B. This school had a relationship with this coffee shop where they were sending students over to this coffee shop to work from the special ed, all right? Uh, special ed classes. Those students were coming over there to work uh, at this coffee shop, giving out dental dams for oral sex and condoms and plan B. This is crazy. We've got to stand up against these things and take back our communities. Yeah. And that's not just a suggestion. That's God's word that we have to hate evil, love good, and establish justice within our city gates. The next part of that verse says, and perhaps the Lord, the God of hosts, be gracious on the remnant of Joseph. Um, we got to love our cities. Yeah. I think uh, one of the best, I, my mind is constantly going here because I'm Lord willing going to plant a church in a year. But um, the area that I look at, it's, there's many that are unbelievers. They're relatively conservative people. Um, but again, they don't know Christ. And so I keep going back to that reality that if we're going to love these people, we have to continue to give them the gospel. And we need to be able to speak up against what's evil in our culture. We need to be able to fight against those things. Um, but if we never get to that base level of being able to approach them and say, look, what you're doing is sin. It's worthy of eternal damnation. Um, you have a righteous God who judges sinners, but thanks be to God that he's provided a way through Jesus Christ for salvation, right? And it's like that, in conjunction with everything else, Lord willing, will actually start to turn people in repentance and faith, and they'll, they won't just be good moral pagans who clean up their act and clean up our cities, though that would be an incredible blessing, right? I mean, Paul talks about that in Timothy, Um but the idea is that they can then turn and walk likewise and continue to be vessels of mercy, if you will. Amen. Well said, Grayson. So, Mark, I, I guess um, as we're, we're about out of time here, if, if someone is listening to this in blank city, state, wherever, right, um, what, what's some advice you could give them? Or could is there a website they could go to? Maybe they want to do... They want to establish a sanctuary city for the unborn in their hometown. What What is something they can do to begin that process? Where can they go? What, what type of information or advice would you give them? Well, I would encourage them to go to our website, sanctuarycitiesfortheunborn.com, and sign the online petition. Once they sign the online petition, I would encourage them to share the online petition. Get everyone in their community to sign it, everyone in their church, uh, everyone in uh, their friends, uh, their, their neighbors. Uh, circulate this everywhere they can. 
the more signatures we see in a community, the stronger of an argument we have to carving out time to go to that community and help that community uh, with an ordinance. We don't just send out ordinances willy-nilly. Uh, what we do is we carefully craft these ordinances for that community, and we make sure that that ordinance has a letter from our attorney saying that he's willing to represent them at no cost to city and the taxpayers for any litigation that may result. Because if you pass an ordinance like this in New Mexico, you better believe there's going to be a fight. If you do this in Colorado or uh, California, there is going to be pushback. And so we have fought a lot of attorneys throughout this process, even in Texas. But those are the steps I would encourage and pray. Pray for your community. Uh, get your church. If your church is not, doesn't have an appetite for these things, uh, keep on praying for that church. Keep on encouraging that church that we have to be involved, that we cannot be people that take a, take a sideline to this issue. This is affecting all of our communities. And the Biden administration has said that he wants abortion access in every zip code. Uh, we need a fight against this tooth and nail. Well said. Uh, Grayson, any any other closing thoughts? No, I, I just want to say I, I appreciate your heart behind all this, brother. Um, I appreciate the work that you've been doing on the front lines with it. And um, the more and more that I hear of just the work that this organization is doing and the pro bono legal counsel and everything else that's thrown in with it, um, truthfully, it's just, um, a blessing to hear of. I, I know that it can get so daunting to look out on the landscape of American culture and see abortion as a regular thing, right? I mean, in my own state, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on my own governor's name right now, uh, Tony Evers, right? So Roe v. Wade got overturned, overturned. Tony Evers was automatically starting to do stuff. Now, Wisconsin has laws in place already that when that happened, it made it illegal to procure an abortion. Um, but they were already doing what they can to safeguard it. So it's easy, I'm trying to say, to look out and get discouraged. It's easy to forget that our Lord is continuing to advance before us. But the reality is that as I look at it... Um, I'm encouraged to see what you guys are doing. I'm encouraged to see what many others are doing, but I'm just I'm reminded of all the while that that continued hope of what we look forward in the eschaton when Christ returns, that Lord willing, um, I would love to see that day. I don't know if we will, but all this crud will just be gone. And I can't, I hate abortion with the utmost hatred. I can't wait for the day in which there's not an illegal abortion even being done. You know, another thing, too, that I have to point out here is that, and this I think would be very encouraging, not just to you guys, but to, to all your listeners, on these online petitions, we ask people why they want to see abortion outlawed. The two most common answers, abortion is murder, and number two, and they're about equal as far as what we get on these, but they say it's against God's law. And there are so many people out there, in, and I'm talking about mayors and city council members, that they get, they find it appalling when people come before them during public comment at these meetings, and they start talking about how God is opposed to abortion, and they're like, oh, we don't want to hear this religious stuff. 
But the reality is the reasoning for majority of people that that sign these petitions, that's their reason. The reason is abortion is murder or that God hates abortion, that, that this is uh, against God's will. And we need to, when we go before our city councils, it's completely okay to give an answer of, I am for you guys outlawing abortion because it grieves the heart of God. They need to hear that. Your leaders need to hear about how your personal faith and walk with the Lord is impacting you coming before them because they need to see that example and they need to to respond to it. And the proper response of someone hearing a testimony coming from, from a Christian should be submission to the God of the Christian faith, that they need to speak up and do what God is calling them to do. And when you have believers approaching their city councils, calling their leaders to action, uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to fear God more? Are they going to fear the their political consultants and uh, the ACLU more? Amen. Well, on that, on that, I'll just—I guess we could end the podcast. I just wanted to share a verse as you were talking that came to mind: Second Thessalonians uh, three thirteen. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So, Mark, I know earlier you mentioned just—you mentioned the the struggle of sometimes it can feel like you're the only one who cares about this. Well, listen to your own words. You are not, and uh, there are. Uh, a lot of Christians out there, people who believe this, uh, clearly Roe v. Wade was overturned. There are people in the in high places who understand this, who understand by God's objective moral law that abortion is murder, murder is wrong, and judgment is coming, if not due, right? So um, we know that. I encourage you to continue to proclaim the gospel. I encourage you to do not, as the, as, as the, the verse says, do not grow weary in doing good. Uh, proclaim Christ, seek him first, and uh, I will continue to pray for you. I'm sure Grayson will too. And Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much for your work, and thanks for taking a little bit of time to chat with us about this. Hey, thank you guys. Yep, thank you, brother. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Chorus in the Chaos podcast.